0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to Land Grant Holy Land's Instant Recap Podcast, where we uh, provide instant analysis of Ohio State games, and I am not in a good mood, and I'm your host, Jordan Williams, here with my co-host, Christopher Rennie, as we try to explain what Ryan Day was doing uh, today. Um, we always forget to do this. Well, me, I always forget to do this. So before I give it to you, Chris, Ohio State won twenty six seventeen over over Nebraska to improve to 8-1 on the season. And their hopes of, you know, Big Ten championship are still in front of them. Uh, as always, what are your uh, initial thoughts of this game?
1: So, Jordan, thanks for uh, the introduction here once again. It's always fun doing these uh, because we get to be the first ones to talk to you guys. And unfortunately, uh, me and Jordan try our best not to pander, but I think we're just as disappointed as a lot of the fan base is today. Uh, Looking at the game, there were so many missed opportunities. Uh, There were a lot of just uh, questionable decisions by the coaching staff. You know, every time Ohio State kind of got some momentum back, the defense would make a play call and then it would give up a big touchdown or something along those lines. Outside of two plays, I think the defense played pretty great, but the offense—this well, was honestly—I and I, I know you want to hammer this home on this episode of the show, but this was probably Ryan Day's
0: worst, worst game of his coaching career. Uh, it was definitely his worst game coaching at Ohio State, but I would venture – I think you're probably right. It was probably his worst game of his entire career. It's literally like I made the joke on Twitter that, like, Ryan Day uh, told the media that Nebraska was a good team and then threw the game away to prove himself right. Like, exactly? yeah. I told you they were a good team. Like, we we really struggled out there. Like, no, you struggled. You coached terribly.
1: Yeah, and Jordan and I are going to be the first to tell all of you guys that Nebraska is a tough team. Like, they've played a lot of teams tough this year when you look at their schedule. They've played every top 10 team on their schedule to a single point. But when you do it in a way, and I don't know where this keeps coming from, but the last two weeks, Ohio State's left a ton of points on the board. And, you know, shout out to Noah Ruggles for kind of picking up the slack of the offense and at least securing and ending drives positively – but whether it's Stroud, whether it's the offensive line giving up interior penetration and taking away some of Ryan Day's confidence, there is just something going on with what they want to do. And there's no identity, there's no purpose, there's no intent with this offense. And I think that's why this game was so frustrating because outside of Jackson Smith and Jigba's big play, I think they had two series that were good from front to back.
0: Yeah, I actually disagree. There is a purpose and intent with this offense. It's just not a good purpose or intent with this offense at all. Um, I think the biggest difference, I think, in this game versus Penn State is during the Penn State game, I felt like Penn State was the reason we weren't doing things. Like they dominated us in the red zone and other things like that. This game, I didn't feel – except for, like, the first couple of drives where that Nebraska linebacker – and I need to I need to say his name because he deserves it uh, – except for those first couple of drives where that Nebraska linebacker was literally playing like like he was on Rookie and Madden, like he was a freaking Hall of Fame linebacker or something. Nothing else in this game felt like it was because of Nebraska. Like, nothing in this game felt like Nebraska, oh, they just got a big stop and they just made a big play. I don't think they – they, they sacked Stroud, what, once, like – They got pressure on them two or three times the whole game, it seems like. The Penn State game, to me, felt like this is Penn State playing, you know, an amazing game, and they are literally dictating what Ohio State can do. This game just felt like Ohio State just wasn't there. Like, Brian Day just left his play sheet at home, left his aggressiveness at home, and he literally coached not to win. He coached not to lose instead of coaching to win.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think once they got to the red zone, I think – I I made the tweet, I'm like, this offense from the 25s to 25s, and I've been saying this since the beginning of the season, uh, has been elite, like some of the best. And if they don't score from outside the 40, usually you've got a chance at stopping Ohio State, which I think a lot of defenses are starting to realize and are just trying to not give up the big play because they know once they get Ohio State into the red zone, Ohio State tries to do too much. They try to get cute, like you said uh, on Twitter, I believe. And they try to get way too creative in the red zone with their passing game. The one pass they re- that felt like that was successful was that one on one route they had with Chris Olave. That was really it. Was, that that
0: and was, was successful because they ran the ball. That yeah, time. and they
1: set it up. And outside of uh, them doing that, they never really stuck with the run in the red zone. And every single time it would be the twenty five to ten, they'd run the ball pretty effectively. And then out of nowhere, Ryan Day would throw three times consecutively and they'd settle for a field
0: goal. Literally on that third and two towards the end of the game when we kicked a field goal, I literally said, I tweeted it right before it happened. I said, don't pass and kick a field goal. Run the ball twice. What did they do? They passed short and then they kicked a field goal. And it's just like, and it's obvious. It's like very, like, it's very obvious what they're going to do. And it's obvious how it's going to work because the offense isn't executing Either running or passing in short yardage. And the thing is, it's just like there are things, there are certain things in college football that work almost all the time. Like I make fun of like coaches and stuff for doing that little stupid rollout thing where they send a tight end to the back of the end zone and someone comes across as a crosser and they're shown in the flats. But that gets touchdowns all the, all the time. time. And it's like you don't have to be cute with 10 yards to go for an end zone, just be effective run a play that works run the ball and ryan day just doesn't do that and it's just like even and and even when it works he does too much like some of those like weird fades it was like it worked perfectly because freaking uh cj uh garrett wilson and chris Olave are unguardable but that wasn't a good play call it just worked
1: yeah and You know, I've got this question for you because I've been kind of noticing this. Mostly, it's happened every time Ohio State's played a more respectable opponent. So, Oregon, Penn State, I guess Nebraska's defense is pretty good at what they do in creating havoc. They don't give up a lot of points. But what happens when Ohio State plays a front? Why is the offensive line struggling? Like This is a real problem in my eyes moving forward because I'm just going to say it out loud. Uh, there's no way this offensive line gets a yard against Georgia's defense. There's just no chance right now. Uh, This is a problem looking forward to me, and it's a big problem if the offensive line can't get one yard, if they can't continue
0: to get three or four yards. Yeah, in my opinion, it's two things. It's one – well, no, it's three things. Um, The thing number one, because it's the theme of this podcast for me, it's play calling. Uh, in short yarded situations, Ryan Day is very predictable because he almost always runs inside zone. Um, the second thing off of that, if zone is not a strength of this offensive line with the two tackle lineup and, and the players that they have, they really need to run gap schemes. Um, zone is not. zone is great, all running plays can be great if executed correctly. But when with this offensive line in particular. And with unique defensive lines, whether it's by front or style of play, zone's not good. You need to gap scheme, run power plays where you where you have a man. And the last one for me is it's the all-tackle lineup. Um, and it all goes together because tackles play a specific kind of thing, right? And they're really, really big. The all-tackle lineup is great unless you have good defensive tackles. Like, and here's the, honestly, here's the weird thing. I I don't think we'll play great against Georgia, but there's a chance we play better against Georgia than anyone else because Jordan Davis is huge. And because that's going to help with the all tackles because he's not going to be significantly shorter than them where they're going to have trouble getting their hands on him. I don't think it's going to matter because he's a really good player, but, like, just stylistically, because he's not a short defensive tackle, they would fare better if he wasn't, you know a first round pick. I don't know if that makes sense, but I I just don't think like they're six, six a piece and they're going up against tough, you know, six foot six, one defensive tackles. And then they're trying to run zone where you have to be able to put your hands on it. It just doesn't work. Like it all works together.
1: Um, Yeah, Yeah, no, I I see what you're saying. And I I think honestly, it's really just a question of can Ohio state adapt enough to get the best out of their offensive lineman. Because I think they can. I hope they can. Um, or is there, you know, like I guess what I'm thinking here is this play calling. It's play calling, number one. Because I think if you throw the ball 60 times, you know, this is something that coaches always say. You want to get your offensive linemen physical early. Because pass protecting you can do from the start to finish. Like, that's not, that's one-on-one, mono monotype mono type stuff. You just have to be locked in. Run blocking is a feel thing. It's a momentum thing. It's a, hey, we got to get this going a little bit, and then it'll stay throughout the entire game. You know, And they just don't do enough to establish the physicality early. And it's hard to establish physicality in a zone run scheme because there's really just not a lot of pulling. There's not a lot of opportunities to take on uh, defenders who aren't ready to get hit by you.
0: Yeah, and like, so this is, you know, maybe, um, you know, the best running games, they they get three yards, they get four yards, they get five yards, they get three yards, they get four yards, they get five yards, and then they bust the big one. And Travion Henderson's the perfect running back for that. And it's honestly kind of surprising because he was so used to being better than everyone and just busting run games like, long, long runs, you wondered, and Ryan Day even mentioned it in press conferences, you wondered if he, was, if he would be okay with going three yards, four yards, five yards, just, like, really grinding. And literally every single game that that's happened, he's done it. And then finally he gets the hole and he busts through. He did it against Penn State. It was only 22 yards here, but he did it here. Like, he's done that against other teams, um, and that's what you want out of a running game. But the thing is you have to give carries for that to happen sometimes. Like, you can, you have to commit to the run game. Um, and, again, you have to call other run plays. I remember watching this game, and this has been other games as well, there's almost always a huge hole when we run power and when we run counter. The biggest issue is when we run it, it's almost always when Master T is in the back there. Yeah, And Master T gets five yards where Travion Henderson will get 12. We ran it today, and, and literally, Master I tweeted it, Master T got like six yards. I said, Trey would have gotten 12 there because he would have broken that tackle because he would have had a seven- or eight-yard head start. Actually, it would have been like 10-yard head start because he's four or five yards in the backfield, and he gets tackled at six. He would have broken that tackle and gotten 12 yards and picked up the first down.
1: Yeah, and I, I think there was a play in the fourth quarter where uh, they shifted – henderson from being an offback, an offset back to a pistol back and they ran a power or a counter to the left side to the short side of the field and he busted off for like the longest run of the day a 32 yard run so they have the plays they have the personnel to do different stuff but this falls on ryan day 100 that's kind of what this podcast is going to be about that was his worst coaching performance as an offensive play caller Um, I don't know why this offense routinely throws those four- to five-yard outs and gets themselves into third-and-one situations. Uh, He's addicted to running meshes. He's addicted to having the outside receivers run snap routes. He's addicted to three or four types of play-calling plays, and it's just not conducive to having an offense that can consistently beat great defenses, good defenses even. And that's a problem. And Ryan Day is going to have to look in the mirror and start with
0: what the game plan needs to be moving forward. Yeah. Well, I think you said it earlier about the red zone. It's not that the play calls that he has are wrong. It's when he chooses to call them and how he chooses to call them. Like, you know, the running the the couple yard outs and, and certain things like that, those are all good plays and they're almost money with our wide receivers but it's like you don't do that on third and f- on third and 6, right? Like you don't do that on second and 6 when you're not going to run the ball on third and 1. And and that's like even like the fourth down, right? Uh should have caught that. He should have. But why didn't you run that play on third and 1? Yeah. And then run the ball on fourth and 1. Like it's not the plays, it's when he calls him. Like the um, the um the uh I'm sorry. I'm I'm This is not great podcasting, but the third and two in the red zone where they ended up kicking the field goal, they ran that little uh, stop route and it was just like there was some pressure. Why didn't you run that on fourth down? Run the ball on third down if you don't get it. Run that on fourth down when they're expecting you to run again and you most likely get it. Like it's it's, the plays are fine. Day is just not calling them right. He's not calling them at the right time and he's not getting creative and – the run game, which is yeah. making it very easy.
1: I, I think we talked about this and this is, uh, this is now two weeks in a row. And then going back to the Oregon and Tulsa game, uh, Ryan day has been an extremely predictable play caller at times and good defensive coordinators, even average defensive coordinators are going to base their defense for a game on your most, uh, frequent tendencies because that's what they expect you to do. So, I liked what I saw in the first quarter where they got kind of stroud into some weird running situations. I think that changed up the tendencies and looks. But what you're supposed to do when you change up the tendencies is set up what you do well. And they did not do that at all today. There was no uh, do this, do this to set up this. And I remember Nebraska had a very long drive in the game where they had seven consecutive run plays. And Joel Klatt saying, you know, they've ran the ball seven times. I'd expect them to have something dialed up in a play-action pass. They did. It was a play-action pass leading to a a shallow crosser route, and Adrian Martinez just missed the throw. So, that was Scott Frost actually being an offensive coordinator, getting into the mind of how we could take advantage of these looks five or six plays down the road. And I think the funniest thing you said was, he's just out there. He's not looking at his play sheet. He's just calling plays based on the vibe. And it's like,
0: I don't want my head coach to just be picking random plays. Yeah. And it's just like for me, and here's the thing, you can call me a homer if you want to. Ohio State's not struggling because of the other team's defense. They did against Penn State, but they didn't struggle because of Oregon's defense without their three best players. They didn't struggle because of Tulsa's defense. They struggled because the coaching staff didn't put them in the right plays or they struggled because Stroud was hurt or whatever it was. The only game – Ohio State. I will give it to the defense, and and I want to I want to caution this in saying Nebraska's defense did play well, and and so watching this game, this game still wouldn't have been a traditional blowout. This was not going to be what we predicted. It wasn't going to be a fifty to seventeen or something like that. I think we said forty five to thirteen. Well, actually, no. I'm lying. It it could have been 45 to 17 because there were some coward, which we haven't got to yet. There were some cowardly calls, uh, and there was some lack of execution that would have led to touchdowns. And this it it wouldn't have been a pretty 45 to 17 game, but it should have been that. Uh, There was a lot of points left out there, and again, Nebraska defense played great in those first three drives. That linebacker was everywhere. He was making diving, like literally selling out diving to knock down passes and, and and stuff like that. But then he disappeared because they started doing other things. And it's just like, call the right plays, call the right runs. And, like, why are you passing the ball with under two minutes left on their 36? You're already in field goal range. You could run, even if, it, even if it didn't work, even if you were only getting three yards of carry, you could run the ball three times, make them call all their timeouts, and kick the ball with less than a minute left on fourth and one.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, and this is something that I thought about a lot during the game. You know, I think they successfully ran a quarterback read option on a second and short. You know when that play would actually be extremely pivotal and make a big difference is on those third and ones, on those fourth and ones, because guess what? Then the next third and one, the next fourth and one, the other team has to think
0: about it. Yeah. And here's and that's exactly when they did it. And I I tweeted it. I was like, Ryan Day, we've always said Ryan Day only throws only throws in the quarterback run on necessary plays near the red zone. And that was our fourth drive with no points. It was a third and four. And we were either on the 25 or right outside the 25. And he caught it. That's exactly what he calls that. If we would have had points at other points in that game, he would. But we, we to call needed, that. we needed to score there, and he did it, and that is in his in, in his mo. But my thing is, I don't know if you on the podcast know this, but I know Chris knows this because we talk about it. I am absolutely ninety nine point nine percent of the time anti throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage, yep. but we have Travion Henderson on those third and twos put three wide receivers on the field, and do that little flare thing. He's not getting tackled behind not the Not a field. chance. I hate that play. It's, and it's I know like he's an not extended
1: – it's like the modern extended version of a halfback toss. And I saw Wake Forest do it successfully today. I see UNC. It's a staple in UNC's offense is getting their running backs out in space behind their with that little flare bubble to – every- to get two or three yards, it's not a big yeah. play. It's not supposed to be a big play. It's supposed My to man. get you to the sideline so you can beat everybody outside with a physical him, player.
0: You're giving him literally, because he's running sideways, you're giving him like 10 yards of a head start to literally just catch the ball and fall forward for two yards. Travion Henderson is not getting tackled there. He's just not. He's getting that. He's picking that up, right? The little The little fake option toss thing that they ran in the fourth quarter, that was creative. That only got three yards, but we only needed two. Like it wasn't and, the defense. We didn't run power. We didn't run outside stuff. We didn't run the flares. We didn't run counter. We I, I did we even run split zone? Like it just felt like they just handed the ball right up the middle. Yeah. It was just like,
1: and this is kind of something that I think we talk about all the time is like we don't need as much creativity on first and ten. You don't need the creativity on second and six in a in a down that's kind of split run pass, you know, where you can kind of do everything. It's when it's third and two and you need to gain three yards and you need to gain three yards. That's where you need to see creativity.
0: Yeah. Also uh, we don't talk about this enough because this is like a conversation that just doesn't have to happen that much, but there's a reason pistol is not popular in college football anymore. And there's a reason like nobody in the NFL runs it except the Ravens. Pistol has a benefit of giving your running back extra time to get to this line of scrimmage. But the biggest downside is it gives the defense extra time to make a tackle for a loss because you have to run seven yards to pick up one yard. Stop running pistol in short yardage. Because yeah, if you want too long, it, it's way too long developing. Stop running pistol and short yardage. Because it takes seven yards to pick up one, and all you need is one missed block. Just one miss block and it's a tackle for a loss. Yeah. And when the offensive line is not playing the way it's supposed to, you need to be closer to the line of scrimmage. You need to get the you need to give Trevion Henderson the ball immediately and let him make a play because it's just not gonna work.
1: I agree. I, I'm with you. And like we've shown that you can run from under center. They do it well. And I guess, uh, you know, if they're going to run the ball and they're going to run the ball in short yard situations, you know, I don't see a point of a fullback just kind of going in there to kick out blockers and kind of doing that. If Mitch Rossi is actually going to be a valuable asset in the run game, it has to be on those gap schemes where he's pulling through holes, where he's like actually lead blocking. It's kind yeah. of a waste when he's in there and he's just kicking out the opposite side end on an under center split zone or ISO. It just doesn't make any sense to have him there.
0: A hundred percent. And and the thing is, if you, for some reason in this offense, feel like your running backs need to get downhill, which the only one that needs to get downhill is Master Teague, do it from under center. Because at under, under center, your running back is at five yards, but he's still getting a five-yard head start. And the pistol, he's at eight or nine yards. Like behind – like you don't – maybe Ohio State's is like seven. They run a short pistol. I think when they run pistol, CJ's job, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, he's and not they, as far back. He's at like yeah. three or four, and then the back's at like six or seven.
0: Yeah, but still, when you're in the I formation, you're at four or five. You're still getting that head start, but it's not giving the defense as much time to catch you behind the line of scrimmage. If for some reason you feel like they need that. And, and again, more coaching decisions, which is the theme – I've said all year, Master Teague is not a good running back, but he's great in short yardage. They don't use they don't use him in short yardage. I I don't understand. This is
1: like kind of like the last thing I have on the run game. Mayan Williams is a very physical runner. Master Teague's a very physical runner. That's their bread and butter. And I remember after the Minnesota game, after a couple of those early games, like we've got a real legitimate thunder lightning. You know, it, at USC in 2003, they didn't put in Reggie Bush to get a yard. They put in Lendell White because he's 235 pounds.
0: Yeah, and this is not anti-Henderson because he can get that yard. He can do he's it. Shown, he's shown multiple times that he can do it. But what's the point of having a freaking tank yeah. in Master Teague if you're not? Why is Master Teague running power on first and 10 out of the freaking pistol? But he can't run power on third and two. And I,
1: the running back rotation shrunk, and we were initially happy about that. But I, I think Henderson still being a little young is more of a weapon when you kind of get the defense a little worn down with the two bigger
0: backs. I I disagree with that. I think you should give Henderson as many carries as possible. Right, yeah, but I'm not saying, you, saying. Don't them like you don't
1: give him like 35 carries. You don't give them 25 carries. I, but this comes back to, if you throw the ball 50 times a game, you don't have any space to do that because you're only running the ball 25 Literally. times. So you can't so, have extra
0: running back carries. Yeah, and, 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 and here's the thing. I'm not watching the film all the time, so maybe maybe we're not picking up these short yardages because of Henderson. I doubt it, but like, let's, just it's pretend, nice. let's just pretend that that's the case. So again, why are you not using your freaking tank? Tank, yeah. Like... Run a two, like, be creative. Run a two back system. Run a two back system with Travion Henderson and Master Teague and have Master Teague as an extra blocker or give him the ball. Like, there are so many things that they could do aside from just, here you go, we're going to run inside zone and hope it works.
1: And, you know, it still should work. And that's part of the problem. But we also need to see some more creativity because. We're in third-and-one situations all the time. It just seems like the case.
0: And it just, it's just mind-blowing because that that Jeremy record play should have been the third down play. Yeah, 100%. Like, I love the aggressiveness, and, and maybe they saw that. It wasn't against the same team, but maybe they saw that Michigan State did that. And they were like, oh, we can do it too because it was actually a similar play. But even with Michigan State, Michigan State should have run that on third down. It just happened that it worked on their fourth and one. Like I, And I get the aggressiveness at times because everyone thinks you're going to run the ball. But, like, you shouldn't have to be in fourth and one to be created. You could do that in third and one. Yeah, 100%. I just, I don't, I don't understand it. We haven't even talked about anything else in this game and I just don't have any positives because the coaching, like, and there were positives. Don't get me wrong. There were, I'd say there was three positives from this game. Yeah. And and one of the things to, you know, this doesn't make me feel any better, but for maybe some of anyone else, like you've already said, Nebraska is tough and they, what did you say? I don't think you said it on the podcast. What was the math? 24 or 26? Yeah.
1: They've lost to four top 10 teams by 24 total points on the year. And okay. Ohio State actually has the biggest win of the three other teams.
0: Yeah, like that is like heartbreaking for Nebraska. So, if you're someone who kind of, you know, wants us to be positive, which, sorry, wrong podcast, but like if you want to leave here with some like positives, that's a positive. Ohio State had won by the largest margin of top 10 teams against Nebraska. Nebraska had been playing their heart out for Scott Frost. Some defense has. Lost that, yeah. The defense hasn't lost, um, has lost, and we won that game without Adrian Martinez being Adrian Martinez. Which, by the way, he's literally never been that. Like, Ohio State, I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think Ohio State has ever forced more than a couple uh, turnovers against Adrian Martinez. He always yeah. plays perfect against us. And it's crazy because it's always after a game where he played, like, the worst game of his career. Yeah. then he comes into Ohio State and, like, doesn't fumble or doesn't throw it away. And you're like, what are you, like, so it's just that, you know, Personal like, for him. Yeah, Ohio State gets everyone's best game, but it's just like, man, we were like, yeah, we're gonna get three takeaways just because Adrian Martinez is gonna give it to us, and no, nope. he, he didn't. The one time he fumbled, he immediately recovered it, and it's just like, wow, <laughs> like if this yeah. was last, if it was last week, he wouldn't have caught, he wouldn't have recovered that, and you know, Purdue or literally anyone else in the Big Ten, it, it, that's a fumble that they recovered, hundred percent. I just okay, so my rant is over for now. Um, we do owe some positives because there was some positives, especially a particular player, two particular players. Um, so let's let's start with uh, let's start with Noah Ruggles because everyone's going to expect us to talk about Jackson Smith and Jigla. Oh, I got one more <laughs> i adding too. Okay, uh, Noah Ruggles has been amazing for Ohio State and I think that we forget that last year kicking was like absolutely miserable could you imagine some of these games if we didn't have Noah Ruggles
1: yeah last year if you guys don't remember Blake Hobby was battling injuries last year and Dominic DiMaggio was just not a very consistent kicker and it really led to an injured Blake Hobby being a bad kicker and that's not good And Ruggles, and I'm not going to put the numbers out there because I am a superstitious person, but he's been really, really good. Uh, And, you know, he hasn't really had to hit anything outside of the 50 50 yard mark, but he hasn't had to, which is good. uh, And also bad because that goes back to the offense. But when you have a kicker that you can trust, uh, it changes games because he won this game because he didn't miss kicks. And and he won Penn State for us. Yeah. And, you know, last year, remember, Brian Day used to go for it all the time. Uh, he and had to. he had to, and it worked. And so this year they come into it and they're super aggressive on fourth down, even though we have a kicker. And, you know, he didn't have the trust early in the season, but if they kick in some of those fourth down situations against Oregon, Ohio State probably wins that game by two points because they score nine. Yeah. And that's what happened last week against Penn State. That's what happened this week. And if at some point, Every single part of this Ohio State team could start clicking at once because, you know, the defense was bad. Now they're playing a lot better. Now the offense is bad. And now special teams is carrying the offense. Can we just get one game? And I know which game it's going to be because it's always them
0: um, where it all comes together. Yeah, um, that, is, that is true. And so I definitely want to, you know, we have to give – no one likes to talk about the kicker, uh, but you have to give him some props because he's been automatic and, and hopefully he stays that way. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's earned a lot of trust, um, some, some really big moments. And so, you know, uh, that is a major positive. And here's the thing, right? There was always going to be a time where Ohio State wasn't blowing everyone out. Like that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, And so when we get into those close games, again, just trying to find some positives. If we get into a close game against Michigan State or Michigan, if we make it to the playoffs and we get into a close game against whoever's in the playoffs, we can can rely on him to make a big kick. If we get to a place where it's like we have to get a kick to win the game, it's not going to be scary. That's not going to – that's, you know –
1: yeah, me and you both are very anti college kickers in big games because well, we know
0: Nebraska's kicker. This yeah, is a three game. He missed two field goals.
1: Two field goals, and he. Um, and when you look at college kickers, you never ever want to let a game come down to your college kicker. But it's nice to know in your back pocket that you got a guy who's been consistent.
0: Yeah, and literally, except for, like, the one that, like, knuckled against Penn State, they're, all, they're also almost always right down the middle, too. Yeah. Which is important because, like, you have those kickers where they make it, but, like, every single kick you're, like, leaning and, like, oh, it barely got in there. And those are the ones that as soon as there's a little wind, it doesn't get in there. Uh, and so he's been kicking down the middle, which gives him some room for error. Um, if you're kicking down the middle and, you, and one thing slight, is slightly off – that's when you get those leaders, but it still goes in because you're you're typically true. Um, and so definitely he is a, a major, major positive. 100%. Um, another positive, let's – we're going to save the best one for last. So another positive that you just put on there, and I 100% agree with, Zach Harrison. Oof, he had yeah. a game.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Tyreek Smith could have had is equally good a game, but we're not going to really talk about that. I think that might be my final thoughts on this show, okay. is the Big Ten referees. But Zach Harrison, we we were very excited about him coming into the season, and we talked about the DNs kind of showing up last week against Penn State. But he had a day. Like There were times where I saw the, the offensive tackle, he didn't even get his hands on him because Uh-oh. the club rip move that Zach Harrison. It wasn't even like Zach Harrison was doing anything complicated.
0: He was just better than the other guy. And he was winning every single time. And um, honestly, I think there's a lot of things to, you know, credit to that. But I, it, surprisingly, we didn't have a lot of contained rushes. They finally just mm-hmm. let him play. Like, they finally just let him play. And that athleticism started to show. Um, Zach Harrison is starting to put it together. And it's and he's putting it together at the right time. Uh, really all of them are putting it together. I mean, everyone who was out there had made it like, everyone who was out there was unblockable. Jack Story was unblockable. Tyreek Smith, unblockable. Zach Harrison was unblockable. But he's the player be- that we mentioned because he's the one that got home. Uh, he had two sacks, right?
1: Yeah, I believe so yeah, too. Remember, and then he had a ton of hurries.
0: Yeah, yep. So, like, I mean, he just had – he had probably his best game as a Buckeye.
1: Um, yeah, a for sure. That,
0: it's a game that we needed and. Honestly, it changed the entire game plan. And you could argue that on the Nebraska side, their game plan should have been what it was in the fourth quarter anyway. But for some reason, they really wanted to test this defense, and they had no chance. Literally, Nebraska had to live off quick game. They had to live off RPOs. They had to live off quick game. They had to live out getting out to the flats and hoping for some run after catch. Because for the first three quarters, when they tried to have any semblance of a passing game, asian martinez was getting hammered i mean i'm not sure that they had enough time to run a 10 yard curl route no like that's not even a long developing route like forget like a post or anything i don't think they had enough time to run to the sticks and turn around it yeah. had to be it had to get out immediately
1: and for the first three quarters of the game it felt like anytime there was an obvious passing situation they either forced martinez into a bad throw with a hurry they either forced him outside the pocket and he ran and did a little scamper two yards up the field and they had to punt, or they got a sack.
0: Yeah, every single time. And and that's the thing where it's like I'm not even mad in the fourth quarter because it's not that they weren't playing well. It's that Nebraska literally like changed their entire offense. And you can't get sacks in quick game. Like you can't. Yeah. Um, you want to, that, but you can't. It's just yeah. and that that's that like when you go too hard in quick game, that's when you start getting rough in the passes and stuff. And so they played I mean, he played really, really well um he definitely deserves that and honestly like people love to crap on this defense um and I'm someone that's like really really in tune to like how people talk about things um and it's funny because in the broadcast they were like yeah Ohio State's defense has struggled whatever whatever and then immediately after that they're like Nebraska's defense has played really well except the one big play that they gave up and yeah. I'm like, you. First of all, Ohio State's defense has played better because at this point at halftime, there's multiple sacks and everything like that. But I'm like, you credit Nebraska defense for playing well and mention that they only gave up one big play, but not Ohio State's. Fine, whatever. That's that's you know, that's semantics. But the defense has played well, and I don't know about you, but I was surprised that the big play happened. That's how well they've been playing. Yeah, no, I'm game. with you. Whereas in the first couple of games, you expected the big play. Now it's like they had one big play the entire game, and you're like, okay, like I didn't expect it to happen. Like, okay, My, like that was one play. They, they're they on scholarship too, as we like to say.
1: Yeah, outside of uh, number 17 and number 12, I think the defense is close to elite, honestly.
0: And thank you again because the big play happened because the two players shouldn't be on the field. And honestly, I'm going to. There's, I'm, there's I'm still fans. Say, Saying yeah. that
1: they should move one of those
0: guys to free safety, and I'm like, he's just as bad as the other guy. Yeah, but I'm going to say this, uh, and I don't typically like to stick my neck out there for number seventeen, but that was not his fault. It was like, like, like people like to people have to forget that offensive coordinators and coaches make millions too. That play call was perfect. It was, it was designed it was perfect for to be single, single high head. safety, and the guy that he went and defended crossed his face. He had to defend him, and if they would have thrown to him, he probably would have had an interception. Sure, if he was, like, a fifth-year senior who was going to the NFL as a first-round pick, maybe he would have seen the back backside guy and made a play on that. But, like, most safeties aren't doing that. Yeah. Even in the NFL, they're not doing that because it was just a really well-executed play. The issue is Lathan Ransom, actually he not his name, said number 12, literally was five steps behind his guy.
1: Yeah, and it's tough because I think it all comes back down to what you said. That was a cover three beater. That was that play was because they have a guy come across the face of the safety. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. And it's not something they run that often, so it's kind of hard for
0: you to game plan for
1: it. But they run the tight end across the field all the time.
0: Yeah, and the the thing is with, like, Alabama and some of these other kind of stuff, like, they get credited all the time for, like, that was just a great play. There's no way you could defend it. They're just, they're scheming guys open. And that was a play that they schemed a guy open. You can't blame the safety there when they're in, co- now if it was like cover two or something, you could have. And cover one, cover three, you don't really blame the safety. You blame the guy that's in man coverage, who's five steps behind the tight end, and then can't catch him and tackle him. and allows a big, well, that wasn't a tight end, but it allows a big touchdown because you just immediately get burnt off the line of scrimmage in man coverage.
1: Yeah, and then it happened uh, another big play. So I was like kind of torn. I was like, you know, I I see why Bryson Shaw probably should have just kept in his backpedal because you got to go from three to two if you're a free safety. But then I'm like, I saw the next play and I saw Lathan Ransom once again chasing the guy. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, I I don't think I could throw the whole blame for anything on 17. But yeah,
0: I think that the two big plays
1: were the two big plays were. Given up by one guy that everyone wants to see more of. And I just and I don't want to like knock a player down because I think he's a talented player. I just think sometimes he's in a bad position from the coaching staff standpoint and the way he's utilized. But I just think at times, uh fans, like that's why
0: he's playing in a very specific role. Yeah, because when he's out there, he's boom or bust, and a lot of times it's bust. Especially when you're not blitzing him, <laughs> like yeah. if he is not in, if he is not, in, if he if he is in man coverage, he's an absolute liability. Uh, I think I could get open on him in man coverage. Yeah, with the right play
1: design, I think we both could.
0: Like he is not good at man coverage, and that is another coaching flaw, uh, and there has been a lot of them. But overall, the defense ha- the defense has been really, really good recently. Um, I mean, Denzel Burke can't like who. You probably know the answer, but, like, just serious question to, to you, to the fans, who was the other cornerback that played? Was it Cam Brown? Was it Seven Banks? Who played more? I don't know because Corners you didn't were call their day. name. You didn't call their name because they were good. I don't know who was in the game. Like, I'm, I would literally have to look at the film to be able to tell because none of the corners got burnt. There was yeah. no pass interference. I, I don't know. Was it who played? Was it Cam Brown? Was it seven Banks? Was it someone else? Did Denzel Burke play the whole game? Like There were times where Cam played?
1: Brown and, it was Cam Brown and seven Banks? because Denzel Burke got a little banged up. And it didn't matter. So I, I think once you look at it, I, I think Hickman is locked. I mean, Hickman and Marcus <laughs> Williamson have found their roles and they excel in them. Uh, you know, Bryson Shaw is not supposed to be on the field for as much as people want to, like, hate on him. It's similar. Uh, it's Josh Proctor is supposed to be in that position. So he got forced into a role he probably wasn't ready for. Lathan Ransom's still young. He's still raw. And they're trying to get him in as much as they can because he's a talented football player. Just sometimes he can't do some of the things you've asked him. And, you know, outside of man-to-man coverage, like uh, – there's really not much that you can't find with someone else like Marcus Williamson or someone in that regard. But I guess Lathan Ransom is a little bit of a bigger body. He's kind of a tweener between safety and corner. And that's why they put him in that nickel position. But it's been kind of the place they take advantage of that kind of 12, 17. And it's because those are probably the two weakest links of the defense. And when you could get them in a scenario together, you probably got a better chance of winning.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're 40 minutes into this and, and should start wrapping up. Uh, and this is very late to do it, but we're still going to do it. We're going to go ahead and take a, a quick break for our sponsors. We're going to pay some bills. And then we're going to come back and talk about uh, – we, we've made you wait for, for a long time. We're going to talk about, the obviously, the player who played the best, uh, what's next, and just some final thoughts in this game. Uh, so we'll, we'll be back shortly. All right, Buckeye Nation, uh, well, welcome back. We're going to, well, me personally, I'm going to try to end this podcast on a positive uh, because I have not been happy the entire time. I'm but, not ending it on a positive. I'm uh, going
1: to share your positive, but I'm
0: not ending on a positive. Okay, well, then I'm not ending it on a positive either. I was trying I was trying to, you know, not, I was trying to not be myself and, and be as angry as I've been the entire, the entire podcast and really all day, uh, but... We're not anything on longer positive, so let's stay true to ourselves. Uh, but we are going to go to a positive right now. Man, Jackson Smith and Jimbo. I yeah. just, that's like, just, just think, just Jackson Smith and Jimbo. That, that's all you that need is, to say. He's so good. Like, he's so good. And there are just sometimes, there are games where you're just like, without this one player, what would have happened, right? We had that with Trayvon Henderson, I think, against Tulsa. It's like without him what like what would this game been? without Jackson Smith and Jiggler like catching everything almost 15 always finding, catches always finding soft spots in the zones and then turning turning you know when when the when the offense can't drive turning a short catch into a long touchdown like those little things really won the game cuz Think about it. Who here – I'm not – who here is confident that if Jackson Smith gets tackled at 12 yards like he's supposed to and we still have 30 more yards to drive, that that drive ends in a touchdown and not a field goal? I'm not confident. I'm not confident. I can't say that I believe that that would have happened because we had no proof. Those seven points, that's a major change in that game. It's the difference in the game, honestly. It's, It's the entire difference because we do some quick math, We won by nine, you take away four from a touchdown. That's a five-point win. Nebraska kicks some of those field goals. Or if the game is a little bit closer and they think like, oh, we can tie it up. We're going to go for a fourth here instead of just getting points because we're down seven or whatever. Like that changes every coach the season. That changes a lot. Uh, so, I mean, 15 I, catches for 240 yards. I was honestly
1: enamored by him today. Uh, I know I kind of said in passing that I think he might be – End up being the best receiver of Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, when it's all said and done. And this kind of like gave me some confirmation that I wasn't going crazy. Just his route running ability, just his ability. Like, he's not the deep threat of Olave or Wilson, but he's so good at so many aspects of being a wide receiver that I just don't know like what he can't do at this point. Like I didn't know he had the juice to score a seventy five yard touchdown like that, to be honest. Didn't he do it last week or was that someone
0: else? Well, I, I remember Oh, and, uh, he got caught. That yeah. was that he got caught. That was him though, right?
1: Yeah. And he 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 looked fast. He looked he must have been hitting the uh the parachute drills or the sled drills this week just so he wouldn't get caught again. So good on him. But this was one of the best receiving performances I've seen from an Ohio State receiver. Uh fifteen It's 240 yards. Like, the numbers speak for themselves.
0: I think it's the best performance I've ever seen from a wide receiver. Um, It's not the most, like – like, in my opinion, and maybe I just hype this up and mix it up. Did Devin Smith have a game where he had, like, three deep touchdowns? Yeah. He had, like, Michigan or something, right? He
1: had had the Randy Moss stat line, three touchdowns, three catches for, like, 150 yards. Okay. so And that was against Michigan, right? I can't remember who it was against. I just remember – it's one of, those, it was. one of those memes where people just post it up.
0: Yeah, okay. That, in my recent memory, and as you can see, I kind of struggled with remembering all of it. That, in my recent memory, is the greatest wide receiver performance I've seen from an Ohio State receiver, personally, that I can remember. Uh, this was better. Sure, yeah. it wasn't for three touchdowns. Sure, it wasn't the deep balls, crazy catches. But 15 for 240, he did everything. Short, long. Run after catch, cruiser catches, like like everything, and then it, and then it's like it wasn't even like uh, like Stroud threw him into space, no. and then he just outran everyone. He literally juked a DB, yeah, and absolutely. then cooked him. Like, come on, cooked.
1: Uh, he cooked like three or four people tonight. I think. Uh, In my film review, I do a He's Cook segment, and it's all Jackson Smith and Jigway. He's got like four of them. I don't even know which one I'm going to choose. Yeah. Uh, But he just, he was so good. And, you know, in the absence of Garrett Wilson, I think he took on the extra targets. Uh, It's been, you know, we look back at last year. This was for sure a relationship that's been built over time between Stroud and Jackson Smith because they were both on the second team. They were both playing together in a lot of those roles, and... You know, he started coming on a little bit similar to Olave his freshman year and just making big plays. So it's it's interesting because he's just getting started. You know, and I was actually pretty happy with the young receiving performances. Fleming made a catch. That was a catch. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. made some nice plays. Chris Olave did what he does. You know, he found the end zone. But Jackson Smith and Jigba was the, uh, the IV to this team today he was the thing keeping it afloat he was the he was the lifeboat he was whatever sort of analogy you want to use he was the reason Ohio State's offense was able to remain successful and get that many yards
0: yeah I mean hundred percent um I mean he he played a perfect game he, he played an absolutely perfect game uh, when you really needed it and it's just like man I keep forgetting that this is his second year. Because I really wish this was his first. Cause he's going yeah. pro. He's going pro next year. We just have to No have questions to, um, about it. We have to enjoy him while he's here. I think uh just speaking a, a little bit, you know, I think Julian Fleming, you know, had a pretty solid game. Uh, you know, Marvin Harrison made a couple of key plays. So the young guys are showing up, which is what you want to see when you're gonna lose two of the best wide receivers. Uh but it's good yeah. to know that you have your number one wide receiver. Uh and all the things like we've mentioned this multiple times on the podcast, because Every time it's unbelievable, it's just so crazy that like Garrett Wilson wasn't lying when he said, my entire life, I thought I was the best wide receiver every time I stepped on the field until I saw Jackson Smith and jigma.
1: Yeah, he's so good at football like I you guys know me i I own Chris Olave branded gear. he's my favorite player, but like i I just think Jackson Smith and Jigma plays the position on such a high level
0: in every single aspect. yeah, I mean there's literally nothing that he can't do. It's crazy. Uh, and so, I mean, he had the game of his life when we really needed it. We really needed it. Um, and so, that is a, a major positive in a game that does not have many positives. So, as we start to wrap up, I'm gonna I'm gonna say my little piece, and then I'm gonna let you get to yours because I know you have some stuff to say. All I have to say is <clears throat> Ohio State has to. Get its head like, you know, it, it just has to get its head out of its ass. I really hope that this is just a tough stretch in the instance that Penn State is Penn State. They were fighting for their life. Nebraska has played close games. You already said it, 24 points to four top 10 teams. Um, I hope these are the kind of games that you look back on. It was like Ohio State proved their mettle in this but at the end of the day, right, you, you have to win your clunkers. But I'm just I just can't take any positives from this. Like I just there's nothing that I can take to be like, that was a good game, they really did some things and I know that they're gonna that they're gonna be better. What I took from this game is that Scott Frost is a bad coach and needs to be fired. I took from this game that Scott Frost didn't want to win. I literally tweeted it. I don't know if I spelled cooties right, but I literally tweeted it. Winning this football game was cooties, and Scott Frost and Ryan Day were seven-year-old boys trying to do everything to, to, not, get him uh, to, to not get him. Like, Ryan Day didn't win this game. Ohio State didn't win this game. Scott Frost lost it because he wasn't aggressive in the right moments, and he didn't do the right things. He had cowardly, he kicked cowardly field goals, cowardly punts. When momentum is real in football, momentum is real. When they could have taken that momentum, he didn't do it. And I, and so I, I I don't have any positives. I don't.
1: Yeah, to build off kind of what you said, I, I know I heard the first glimpse of Ryan Day talking to Jenny Taft after the game. And the, I guess, essence of what he was saying was survive in advance. Like they came in, they went on into a tough road environment. We heard the fans over the last, we, we heard them. They were loud. They were involved. They wanted this game bad. And every time Ohio State had an opportunity to set them up, they didn't. And that kind of goes back to what you said. Uh, they got to pull their head out of their ass. But my final rant of this show, and I think this one has kind of been a long time coming, as me and Jordan watch a lot of football. We are going to get off this show. We're going to do our work. We're going to watch more football. We're going to watch football tomorrow. We're going to watch football Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, Friday next week. Uh, I've watched a lot of Big Ten football games this year. Uh, I've seen a lot of Big Ten officiating. This has been by far the most egregious year of officiating I've ever seen from this conference. It has been awful. It has been pitiful. It's been hurting both sides. You know, Nebraska had a few plays. They had that one, you know, uh, we couldn't even get mad. We couldn't even, like, celebrate it because it was such a bad call when Jackson Smith and Jigba caught the punt going out of bounds. And they gave us 10 yards for it's like running yards? into – or interfering with the punt returner, and, you know, every single week we can take clips and pictures and screen grabs of games on Tyreek Smith, on Zach Harrison. You know, our tackles are good. They're not perfect. They hold. Every offensive lineman holds, they're all going to tell you that. It's how you survive on the offensive line. But these refs, it's not the lack of calls. It is the lack of consistency calling them. If you're going to let the guys play, you let them play. If you're going to call holding, you call it every time so players stop holding. It's consistency. I, I said this on, I believe, Twitter, honestly, uh, but they have to, the Big Ten as a conference needs to 100% completely reevaluate their refereeing protocols. They need to completely reevaluate their referee vetting and who is referees and their whole training because whatever is... On the field, they're becoming too much of the game, too
0: much of a star in the game, and they are not doing a good job, period. Yeah, no, 100%. And here's the thing that really needs to happen. First of all, what I want to do is not going to happen, so they need to do what you want to happen. But I know it's hard. But It's hard. It's not, not an easy be, job. There needs to not be conference referees. It needs to be a refing association. It needs to be these are Division One refs. Because here's the thing, with most – the Big Ten, the Big Ten is a little-ish, right? It's a little regional. But, like, if you ref in the South, you could ref a game each week and be in a different conference. Like, how many different conferences are in Florida? How many different conferences are in North and South Carolina? Like, first of all, refs travel pretty far for these games because you typically don't ref in your home market. So there's no reason that it couldn't be college football referees under one association – it's not easy. There's five conferences, uh, even more, because I don't know if refs do all of Division One. So if one day you're doing high school, you're doing uh, Big Ten, and the next time you're doing FCS or whatever, I don't know exactly how it works. But everyone who's under the FBS, all 130 teams, you take all these refs from these conferences, you evaluate them, you fire the bad ones, you do one training protocol. Like, and this is the thing: like the NCAA served good purposes. When under its like under the thought of its creation, instead of worrying about like who bought a a recruit a meal, the NCAA should have referees. It should be the NCAA's referees, and they dictate where they go, dictate the protocol, dictate the fines, and whatever else happens. Instead of each conference is having their own refs, and then that solves. Oh, this is a Big Ten versus SEC game. Do we need to get SEC refs? Do we need to get Big Ten refs? Do we need? Do we go and get ACC refs? uh, like, right. Like, who's like, what if they're like, and, and like, there's again, no continuity to refereeing right now at all. And that it should not be that way. And referees is not perfect because obviously the NFL has yeah. less refs, they have one association, whatever, and they're not good. But it would solve some of these things if everyone was under the same umbrella. And it's just, it's,
1: a, it's an extremely hard job. You're never going to get any love for it. So when refs do actually call a good game, it deserves some appreciation, but one of the best and worst things that's ever happened in sports was the NBA doing their two last two minutes referee grades. Um, you get to see everything they missed, everything they did, and it holds them accountable. There's no accountability for referees, and it's unfortunate because I, I think at the end of the day, it's not the ref's job to dictate a game. It's a ref's job to manage a game and referee the game, and. You can't have these egregious holdings one after the other. And, you know, people are probably going to come into these conspiracy theories. And I don't want to put any fuel out there so someone could start a fire. But Ryan Day sends stuff every week. Coaches are sending stuff to the Big Ten every single week. These refs take that stuff personally. They're human beings. Uh, they don't like to be told they're doing a bad job, but they are doing a bad job. And it needs to stop because it's ruining football games. It's not just Ohio state games. It's not just Michigan games. It's not just Michigan state games. It is the entire big 10 conference and it has been terrible. Yep. hundred percent. And that's my rant Uh, outside of that. I think, you know, we're kind of into that survive and advance uh, sort of mindset. We got some huge games coming up.
0: Yep. Um, And one game. Oh God. One game is going to be uh, less likely um less big less exciting less whatever it's not going to be the expectations that we thought because Purdue is up 21-7 against Michigan State mm. and that and that brings us to hey, our <laughs> Tulsa's only down 5 to Cincinnati oh and God. they're driving
1: to go into the they're driving to the score with a minute left so Man. Uh, me and Jordan, uh, we're, we're going to close this thing up because we got to watch some football, like I said. we yeah. got, like, 15 more games to watch today.
0: Yeah, so uh, just as we close out, Purdue is up 21-7 against Michigan State, and that is our what's next. We play Purdue. Thankfully, it's in the big house. Not the big house. Or not the big house. Come on, James. I'm James, I'm James Franklin now. Come on, James. Uh, thankfully, it is in the shoe. Um, it is at home. We are not going to Purdue. And thankfully, thankfully, Michigan
1: <laughs> State's getting sacrificed before us, so...
0: Yep, and and we're not going to be the number two team in the country, so <laughs> the, uh, Purdue's not going to be inspired to beat us like they do any other time. Uh, so we will see you next week after the Purdue game, and hopefully it is a much more positive podcast. Uh, and with that, go Bucks!
1: Go Bucks!